today it's return of Gladbach. Here it is. Top two clashes in Italy, Spain and France. The names Bromby, IF Bromby and the Copenhagen Derby as you were in the Liga and Clorpoel in the ass as the Whisperer joins St Etienne. It's the Toady Football Show European Edition in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, welcome aboard. Here we are in our Totally Euro edition treehouse, enjoying a good old chinwag about another exciting weekend in Europe. James Horncastle's here, aren't you, James? I am indeed, James. Alongside him, Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. We've got Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And just struggling up the rope ladder is Julian Laurence. Why? With the get into our treehouse. Oh, treehouse. Sorry. Way Bonjour. to go to ruin the... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Hey, James, how's that bet going? You remember where you're going to take everybody out for dinner? <laughs> if <laughs> if Atalanta don't hey, make it out of their Champions yes, League group? There's still time for Atalanta. That double That's header so against good. Man City, I'm thinking six points from six. <laughs> well, you know what? Stranger things have happened, right? In yeah. this crazy game we call football. But hey, speaking of uh, strange things, let's get a quick roundup on the big stories around Europe. Starting, Jules, with you and Ligue 1. It was all about Claude Puel and Saint-Etienne and Lyon in the 119th Derby du Rhône between the two enemies. And Claude Puel, for his first game, two days after being appointed, won it at the death as well, got in the last minute from Berridge. Excellent stuff. In Germany, Rafa? In Germany, I think the story is the uh, unpredictability of the table, James. Uh, The lead changing almost by the hour over the weekend. And in the end, it was Borussia Mönchengladbach who came out on top, at least momentarily so, after a 5-1 win over Augsburg. Off to their best start in almost 50 years, BMG. In Spain, meanwhile, Alvaro. Yeah, right uh, the opposite for Spain, La Liga, because the three usual suspects are topping the table now. Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico de Madrid. It was a good week for Lionel Messi, who finally scored his first goal in La Liga. And Eden Hazard as well scored his first goal for Real Madrid in La Liga too. Right, and how about that Modric scream? Beautiful, and he needed that because uh, he hasn't had a, such a great year in 2019. Right. Meanwhile, James, City, a massive game on Sunday night, Inter against Juve, and some pretty massive news building on this Monday. Yeah, so we've got Conte always losing to Juventus. We've got Milan changing managers. Looks like Luciano Spalletti is going to become one of what a uh, handful of coaches to have coached both Milan clubs. We've got Napoli unable to score any goals. Roma going crazy at the end of that game against uh, Cagliari, where Fonseca was sent off. And the lighthouse in Genoa, while the light has gone out, James, both bottom of the table looking for a new coach. Lovely bit of imagery there. Thank you. If poignant. (laughs) Yeah. The top two in Italy, Spain and France all played each other this weekend within their respective leagues, of course. Let's start with France. Jules, top two meetings Saturday afternoon, Paris Saint-Germain up against surprise, top two side Angers. And it was all too easy for PSG. It was really uh, indeed, James. It was, again, the Neymar masterclass. It was mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. I've rarely seen him in that kind of form. He only scored one goal and right at the end as well. But throughout the whole game, he was just almost unstoppable. And 
he seems like he's happy again of playing for that team. This time the fans were on board with him. There was no banners, no insults, no chance against him or his family or anything like this. It was all about, seems that the, the path towards redemption is, is almost over and it's, it's good because he will come back from his suspension in the Champions League for the third game in the group stage as well after the international break. And it looks like, apart from the injuries of you know Cavani and, and Mbappe especially, but they should be back after the international break, it, it looks like everything is pretty good for PSG right now. All right, and he was kind of the centre of it all, linking it all up as Sarabia scored and Icardi got another goal and then Idrissa Gay also scored. Yeah, Idrissa Gay, who's had an incredible impact, really, because the games that he played and started for the team, they have won eight times, they haven't conceded either. Um, so it was, you know, it was pretty good for him. And for Icardi, he scored his second goal in, in, in four days after the winner against Galatasaray in midweek. Then this one again, one-touch finish again. Very characteristic of, of Icardi. What was good again is that the game was on Saturday evening, uh, Saturday end of the afternoon. And on Sunday evening, he was, he was in Italy to be uh, in the audience of Tiki Taka, obviously the show where his wife Rondanara was. Uh, you know, he's a pundit there. And um, he was not allowed to talk. She was. Drink. Well, she was allowed to talk. But someone at some point still tried to ask Icardi a question about the, the David Italia and saying, oh, do you wish you, you were playing? And Wanda intervened and said, no, 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 they wish he was still playing for them at Milan, at Inter, because he would be converted all those chances that they're creating and they would win the game against Juve. So that was quite funny. But so far, so good, I would say, for Icardi in terms of performances and also in terms of his attitude. Very interesting. Is that it then for the title race for this season? <laughs> or do you think done. that, I mean, the nearest rivals are Nantes, uh, managed by Christian Gokouf? Uh, and also featuring the talents of Wesley Moustache. Yes. Uh, There's three play. points behind. Has he yet to play? He's yet to play. And you would be happy to know that he actually has a moustache. That's his real name. And he could not have it's a It's his moustache. middle name, isn't it? Moustache. Yes, but yeah. still. But it's know. not. A, it's a nickname or it's genuine no, no, no. his name? It's genuine. genuine. Okay. He's, he's registered with the uh, French League as Moustache, as his surname. Wesley Moustache. Yeah, which okay. is quite a cool name. To Very be cool. It's cool. But yeah, you're right, Angers, uh, non, sorry, uh, second now, uh -huh. taking over Angers in second place, two points behind PSG, but they've been really solid. They won five of the six wins, 1-0, uh, mm -hmm. in Christian Gourcuff. Unusual style, because usually his teams are, are renowned for playing nice football, and now they're very solid. They play good stuff as well, but Nantes have been, you know, the informed team for sure so far this season, thanks okay. to him. Elsewhere, as you mentioned at the top, Claude Puel coming in, was this a bit of a surprise Friday afternoon at Saint-Étienne? Coming in for Ghislaine Printemps. So, we saw it coming. We were not sure how much Puel really wanted that job or if he'd rather wait for Monaco maybe to become available or even, even Nice, uh, to be fair. Uh, and he actually took the job. Printemps just was not working. It was not working. They were bottom of the table. Too many Printemps errors. Yes, Printemps, you know, and it was obviously not springtime. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, that wouldn't work for him at fall. And Puel comes in on Thursday, has training session on Friday morning and Saturday, and then makes miracles already for a team that was really struggling in Saint-Étienne. They played so well, I thought, in that derby on Sunday night, in what was an incredible atmosphere, really, at the Geoffroy Guichard Stadium. And after three defeats and one draw against the enemy in Lyon, mm. they managed to, to pull that one out in the last minute. For anyone who's not familiar with the Derby de Rune, is it the, the most keenly felt fixture yeah. in French football, would you say? Even more than perhaps Marseille-PSG? Oh, certainly. because oh, Simply because there's just 40 miles between the two cities. So it's a proper derby. The contrast between the two clubs and the two cities, Lyon is very posh. Saint-Étienne is very working class. You know, you work in a factory and, and you you sort of hate the, the, the 
the posh people from Lyon. They're the two extreme. There's so much antagony as well between the two that it's the perfect derby, I think. It really is. And for so long, Saint-Étienne had the upper hand when they were you know, amazing in, in the 70s and 80s. Then Lyon took over, obviously, and used to smash them a lot. And then it became a bit more level in the last 10 years or so. But Lyon, like I said, three wins and one draw in the last four before Sunday and, and Saint-Étienne took that win there. Deservedly so, I think, because once again, Lyon were very disappointing. And how much pressure does that add to the Lyon manager, Silvino, after what's been a difficult start to the season for him? So the win against Leipzig in the, in the Champions League on, in midweek bought him time, but mm. it was all going to be about this game against Saint-Étienne. And it's not even just the result, it's the fact that they didn't play well. Again, there was no... There was no ambition on the page. You struggle to understand how they want to play, what the style is, what he's trying to do, what he's working on. And Jean-Michel Olas, the, the chairman and owner at the end, said, we cannot not do anything about this. You know, it's got to a point where we need to sit down and talk. Gérard Houllier, obviously, who is his advisor, will be there. Uh, Bernard Lacombe as well. And obviously Juninho. But I think Juninho, for his own credibility has to do something and sack his, his friend, Silvino. So you think Silvino will go over the international I think break? So. There was this very awkward uh, video, I don't know if you saw, on Saturday, released by the club, when the Lyon Ultras came to training to sort of like, you know, pump the players up. And they were all there with flares and singing and everything. And Silvino went on the touchline to, um, to high-five them. But he did a high-five that was really weird. It was like a crocodile biting them, basically, with both hands. He clapped their hands, and it was so awkward. And you think, like, why are you doing this? You know, I mean, it looked ridiculous. And then, you know, he lost. OK, they're part of a, um, a throng of teams down at the bottom. Seven teams separated by just one point at the bottom of Ligue 1. It's never uh, been as tight as that uh, really? towards the bottom. Even Lyon for, are in there, Monaco are in there. Even for Saint-Étienne. Also this weekend, there was the Garonne derby. Yes. It's Bordeaux faced Toulouse. Indeed, and Bordeaux won the game 3-1, played really well, and the Paolo Sousa, who things are starting to really taking shape, and he's, he's quite convincing what he's trying to do over there. And they're fourth in the table as well, Bordeaux, which is really good. The game uh, happened 10 years ago, almost to the day where Brice Taton, one of the, um, the Toulouse supporters, was beaten to death by a, a Serbian hooligan in Belgrade before uh, a European game. So 10 years ago, like I said, so in, in tribute... All the Toulouse players had a, had a black shirt uh, with Brice written at the back and then the, the, the official numbers. But everybody had Brice written in the back, which I thought was a, was a really good touch. There was a great choreography as well in the, in, the, uh, in the ultras in the stadium at Toulouse. Shame they couldn't win for, for Brice, but I thought it was, a, it, was, it was a good touch for tributes. Right. What a horrible story. And uh, another quick bit of French news regarding the national side, Hugo Lloris. As I'm, I'm sure you've all seen in France, mm. out for a, quite a while now with a dislocated elbow. What happens for the national side? How much of a blow or not is that? Oh, it's a huge blow. And Steve Mandanda, who he's reborn this season, he's been incredible with Marseille, uh, although he was dropped in the last international break because Deschamps wanted to see other options. But he's back and he will be the number one. Deschamps actually, this, on Monday morning, uh, lunchtime, revealed that uh, Lloris came to Paris to do more scans. He had a, a, an MRI. Uh, in Paris that revealed that the ligaments were damaged on his elbow and that he wouldn't play again in 2019. At least there's no fracture, but it still looks like a very serious and heavy injury. And Deschamps said he, he's out for for month, which is a big blow, obviously, to France, but also to Spurs. And Steve Mandanda taking his place against Mandanda Iceland. Mandanda will be the number one against Iceland and Turkey yeah, uh, on Saturday, I think, and following week. Right, OK. Lovely. Merci beaucoup, Merci. Jules. Hey, Rafa. Hey, let's talk German football. Hmm. 
It seems as though Serie A is a bit of a dumping ground these days, doesn't it? Where all the Premier League's footballing flops are sent to get them off the wage bill. It's literally a weekly reminder for Man United of all their very expensive mistakes. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Bubble Show from Muddy Knees Media. That's lovely, Raph. What's that? That's Zillertaler Hochzeitsmarsch. Okay. Sounds like a bit of Oktoberfest. Yeah, it's a classic. They sometimes play this um, as the goal uh, music as well in the uh, Allianz Arena. Oh, right. Okay. Well, speaking of the Allianz Arena, last time we saw Bayern, they were busy giving Spurs their biggest ever defeat. Woohoo! And then uh, this weekend they were back at home at the Allianz taking on Hoffenheim. Well, and against proper opposition, it was much more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> they lost, James. They lost 2-1 at home. Wow. First league game in 2019 that they lost. Is it the first time that Hoffenheim have ever won away at Bayern? It's probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say. But more surprising is that within the context of the season, because Hoffenheim had been one of the poorest sides right. in the league, not just in terms of results, but also in terms of creating chances. They were very efficient. Uh, Adamian uh, getting two goals. Bayern were just not really there. And a lot of weird things happened as a result of the game. One was Niko Kovac came out and once more sort of uh, inadvertently showed that he perhaps doesn't quite understand what Bayern Munich is about when he said, well, after we equalized with 17 minutes to go, we should have taken a draw, which even if you think that, you cannot really say as a Bayern manager. The other thing, which you must never say, but he did, was to basically give a heavy hint that Thomas Müller, who's been out of the team as far as the starting eleven is concerned because of Coutinho, is only going to be called upon in emergency situations. And now saying it and putting it that way upset Müller, as you can imagine, and uh, created now a story that's going to rumble over the over the international break because managers who get on the wrong side of Müller don't tend to last very long. Well, we saw this with the last man, no? Absolutely. Um, and I think he'd managed the actual sort of marginalization of Müller pretty well up to this point because it was done quietly. But now that he actually said... You know, Müller is only a substitute event, effectively. Um, it's given ammunition to people looking to um, to really identify those sort of undercurrents of, of doubt and, and unhappiness that still exists. Only the day before they went to Spurs, I was talking to someone who said, well, there are a lot of players in the team still not happy with Kovac. Of course, the result uh, at Whitehead Lane kind of uh, papered over all of that, but um, it's now back in the open again because of that defeat. I don't know if, if Muller is also contested by, by the fans as well or not, or if the fans still support him starting for Bayern because he hasn't had sometimes uh, such convincing performances either. No, I think you're right. I mean, the, the fans have not made sort of a big overt political push to get him into the, into the squad, but Muller is an important figure uh, for them, for the whole club who see him as, as someone who might eventually take over in some uh, you know, position uh, behind the scenes and for what he means in the dressing room and I think coach has to be very careful not to lose him completely because he, along with the likes of Neuer and one or two others, um, 
they're the guys who kind of control the room in many ways. At least they control the atmosphere within the room. So it's not a good idea to get the wrong, on the wrong side of him. Bayern dropped two points off the top. The good news for them is that most of their rivals also dropped points. Schalke who had a one-word draw with Cologne. Dortmund had their third straight 2-2 draw, this time at Freiburg and Leipzig were held 1-1 at Leverkusen, all of which means that on top, Rafa, are... Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah. It... Amazing. I mean, mm. to put this into context, the last time they were top of the Bundesliga was back in 11-12, when Lucien Favre was manager, when Royce was playing in, uh, in a number 10 role, and uh, they had Ter Stegen in goal. Wow. So this is as long ago as it was. And they went top with a 5-1 win over Augsburg. It's a kind of false five, if if you like. One of the goals, an incredible howler from the Augsburg keeper, no? Yeah, and Thomas Krubeck, the uh, Augsburg keeper who used to play for Rennes and did so well for Rennes, to be fair, in France, just didn't have a, showed, a really good day. He everything what he learned in, in, in France. <laughs> yeah, he learned from the best. He learned from the best in Liga. Because back pass, and then he went horribly wrong. Yeah, he swung happen. a leg at it, and yeah. he just uh, rolled on past him. But Incredible. In many ways, the biggest story still, though, as much as it's cool to say Marco Rosa, a former player of Klopp's at Mainz, do well with René Maric, a former uh, blogger uh, who became assistant coach for so Rose at Leipzig. R- Rose is the manager. Yeah. And he's got a former vlogger or blogger as his assistant. Yeah, René Maric. How did that happen? Well, René Maric is one of the guys behind uh, Spielverlagerung, which is very pretty famous Germans, very niche, very nerdy, but very interesting uh, portal or website for tactical blogging. Sort of a zonal marking of Germany. Yes, but with more people involved, okay. not just a one-man show. And uh, he got talking to Marco Rosa, and Rosa really liked, liked him, liked his ideas, and uh, appointed him as assistant manager at Leipzig. Now, René already coached uh, a youth team, coached his local village team, but still, it's, it's an amazing story. Anyway, the, the biggest story, though, of all, is, is Dortmund once more, because Dortmund now played uh, out three 2-2 draws in a row, each time they had the lead, uh, on Saturday actually had the lead twice, uh, uh, away to Freiburg. And there is still an ever-growing sense, not still, there's an ever-growing sense that Lucien Favre just isn't quite getting it right. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's obvious that Bayern are there for the taking this year. The league is very open. And Dortmund, who arguably have the deepest squad, maybe not the best 11, but the deepest squad, I would say, can't get those wins so it is it's getting to the point I think when both inside the dressing room and uh, at, at club level at board level people are thinking surely another manager might be able to do a little bit better wow. here so the knives are out you've got Favre on the brink you've got Kovac also yeah. I mean both of these things are hangover from last season because right. Kovac went into the season pre- on a, uh, in a pretty weak state Favre had one or two people doubting him after his team had collapsed, basically, with nine points clear just before Christmas, not winning it against a pretty average Bayern side by their own standards. And these things have just basically carried on. Uh, They've done enough, I think, in the opening weeks of the season to suggest that nothing drastic is imminent. Nothing will happen now. Nothing will probably happen in November. But as far as sort of the long-term prospect of either of them is concerned, they're not really doing a lot to to enhance their standing with their respective employers. Okay. Second place in the Bundesliga are Wolfsburg, who are now the only unbeaten team in the division. They beat Union Berlin 1-0 Actually, on Sunday. the only Sunday. unbeaten team in all German top divisions. Is teams. that right? Yeah. Hmm. 
Mm. Okay, I was going to ask you about uh, the upcoming Germany-Argentina game, the friendly on Wednesday, and who might be wearing the gloves for that. Well, Ter Stegen will be wearing the gloves. Um, Löw sort of apologised to him, saying, well, I had promised him a game against Northern Ireland, and I changed my mind, and it's not his fault, etc. Um but it's a weakened Germany. There's a lot of uh, people who've pulled out. Uh, there's no Kroos, probably no Gunnuan. Uh, Werner is is uh, very doubtful. It's not a strong Germany team, and I think it'll it'll stop Löw from trying to get a bit more coherence and a bit more sort of um, joint up thinking into the squad because of the very few training sessions he'll have with what is a depleted side. And he also said that Neuer was the number one until the Euros that, you know, we knew it, but to put the debate to bed, it was just yeah, like... it was never really a debate. Um, yeah. But of course, Bayern saw, saw fit to get involved. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Sounds nice, James. What's that? Sveda e Basta and Lazza with a bit of gigolo. Right. Number one in the Italian charts. A bit like Juventus once again. Hey. They were turning tricks. They certainly were, weren't they? <laughs> they were trapping. Balls. <laughs> yeah. Offside trapping. Yeah, nice. And they handed, uh, they handed, uh, and they beat Inter. <laughs> yeah, they did. This is the big game, listeners, as you know, on Sunday night at San Siro as Inter took on Juventus, an Inter team that had a perfect record in Syria coming into the game. Not anymore. They got beaten and beaten convincingly by Maurizio Sarri's Juventus. That's one of the big stories. The other one is how many managers have we lost now? <laughs> well, we. At the time of recording, we haven't lost any managers. Right. But I imagine by the time that this podcast drops, we might have lost three. Wow. In Milan, Genoa and Sampdoria. That's incredible, isn't it? Well, let's start then with Sunday night's action. A 2-1 win for Juventus against the former Juve hero, Antonio Conte, who I see Juve fans actually want to remove his star from outside the, uh, the Allianz Stadium. That's, I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and there were chants uh, before the game started from the Juventus fans in the away end. I won't repeat them because they were quite offensive uh, about Antonio Conte. Um, he was actually asked about this erroneous story about um, Andrea Agnelli, the president of Juventus, being kind of on board with this petition to take away the, st the star. So there's been about 5,000 signatures, yes? Yes, which um, the club has completely denied. Agnelli's not behind it, but that didn't stop Conte biting. Uh, when he was asked about this. And you got a real sense uh, before kickoff at San Siro that you know, this is obviously a huge rivalry. The atmosphere was much more intense than, for example, at the Milan derby a couple of weeks earlier. And you, you also felt that this meant a lot to Inter as who they are now. Um, because I think they really wanted to make a statement to back up what they had done, not only over the start of the season with those six wins out of six, but also what they'd done in that first hour against Barcelona when they played very well indeed. And I think no one had been really talking about Juventus going into this game and, and what they might be able to bring to the table. And they were very impressive. And I think since the Spal game, that Leverkusen and this one, they get better and better and better. And... Even though Maurizio Sarri has basically come out and said, don't expect this team to play like my Napoli team because it's got different players, different skill set, different build and all that sort of thing. I think they did play what 
you and I believe to be kind of Sadism or Sadi football. And uh, I think they were really, really impressive. And I, I think, that, again, their match winners on the night, Dybala and Higuain, two guys who were on their way out in the yeah. summer um, and I think have got a real point to prove, are really hungry and in some respects are playing as well as they've ever done in the Juventus shirt. And I think that's partly because they've got a manager now who plays to their strengths um, and they've also got... Um, Does Sarri play to Higuain's strengths? Yeah, without doubt. I mean, ultimately, 36 league goals is a record, which mm. he had in, at Napoli, best ever season. And you have to say that Higuain and Dybala have both been, when called upon, brilliant. And uh, I think it was a real statement um, that Sadi sent out midway through the second half when Juventus was so on top, he felt that they could play with Ronaldo Dybala and Higuain, which given he hasn't aligned any of those players at any time during the season, he chose that moment to do it. It took some cojones. It didn't really work. And after nine minutes, because Inter had suddenly got a foothold back in the game, he took off Dybala, brought on Emre Chan. But I just think some of the interplay, particularly in the first half between Dybala and Ronaldo, was sensational. I think that was one of the better Ronaldo displays even though he didn't get on the score sheet some of the touches um, how involved he was because he hasn't always been sort of a participant in what Juventus have been doing um, so far this season and Pjanic under Sarri again seems to have gone up yet another level which I know Rafa will find hard to believe because he's already world class mm. but uh, he <laughs> was been for a long time uh, he was talking you know before the Leverkusen game about how Allegri just basically told him to move it out wide and that was it and now he gets to play forward put it between the lines and he's getting his 100 touches a game which is what Sarri wanted and uh, he's very much the kind of the brains behind this 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 team particularly that midfield and right. it's it, it looked good I, although at the same time I would say that you know Inter um, this wasn't a bad performance by them um, it wasn't Slavia Prague bad it wasn't the first half of Lazio disappointing um, well, they, could, they could have had a penalty or two, no? Could have had a penalty. They also had a couple of chances. Uh, Chesney made a good save from Lataro in the, in, in the first half and then another save from Vecino in the second half. And Vecino hit, a po- hit the post when his shot went off the back of De Ligt um, and completely wrong-footed Chesney. De Ligt, who had an iffy game, conceded the penalty and then you know could have went very close to scoring a, a, an own goal um, as well. Um, but you know, Conte afterwards... Uh, kind of making the point that when Sensi went off after half an hour, um, that's when the game sort of uh, went away from them a little bit. Sensi's been their best player this season, the, the one with some real imagination in their midfield. All of a sudden, there was no fluidity um, to their passing game. Lukaku, I thought, was disappointing. Um, and I, I think, again, Conte's substitutions, two were used up for injuries. Sensi uh, obviously went off, Vecino came on, Godin went off, Bastoni came on. He didn't have the card that I think he wanted to play because Alexis Sanchez got sent off against Sampdoria and uh, wasn't available. And my personal feeling, uh, having watched the first half against Samp and the game against Barcelona, is that Inter look very, very good when it's Lautaro and Alexis up front, not Lautaro and Lukaku. Um, I think Lukaku's still obviously got time to get fit and get up to speed. He scored three goals in his first five games, but one in the last five. Yeah, Lautaro and Alexis looks like a more dynamic, more imaginative front duo for them. All right. Well, for now, it's Juve top one point ahead of 
Inter with Atalanta in third place and then Napoli, as you mentioned, had another goalless game at the weekend. Down at the other end, rock bottom are still Sampdoria, one of the three clubs who may well uh, change their manager over the international break. Uh, redhead dude among the listeners writing in saying Sampdoria bottom of City, what has gone so wrong for them? Are they in real danger of relegation? Well, I think uh, they will make a managerial change because whatever Di Francesco is 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 doing, it's not working. Um, they've they've changed. They're playing a kind of three four three. I always thought that uh, asking Quagliarella to play Di Francesco football was always going to be a big ask, um, just because I think again Gianpaolo did everything to kind of accommodate and bring the best out of Quagliarella, and uh, I think getting a thirty six year old to run up and down um, like a madman is is not going to work. Um, for them, and I, I think the other thing to bear in mind is that this takeover, which has gone on and on and on and on and hasn't hasn't happened, that hasn't I think distracted the players, but certainly stopped them doing from some of the business that Di Francesco wanted them to do in the in in the summer. And I think if you look at Samp last year, there were a team that played four four two diamond, no wingers. Di Francesco is a guy who plays four through three and wants wingers, and they don't have any wingers. So I think that's that's one of the main issues. And this is the uh, consortium led by Gianluca Vialli, which has been kind of poised to make the takeover since spring. Yeah, and we're still no closer to it happening. No, there was a deadline uh, I think a, a week or so ago, which was an exclusivity deadline. Um, so now other parties can come to the table, bring in an offer. Um, but you, know, you look at it now and. You know, maybe this is all part of a strategy to make you know, Samp as cheap as possible. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, that's a joke. Um, but um, it's, it's worrying. And I would you know, expect them to have changed manager when this pod drops. And also, you know, Genoa, who, yeah, some of the performances, as with Andrea Zoli's Empoli last year, they play really good football. They create loads of chances. They don't take them, they lose. And Andrea Zoli ends up, you know, on the, on the chopping board. Yeah. Um, so... You've got this domino effect going on at Serie A at the moment where I think Stefano Pioli has been courted by both the Genovese um, but has been waiting to see if maybe Milan would give him a call right. but instead Milan had called somebody else. Okay, so you've got Genoa and Sampdoria, the bottom two in Serie A and they're looking to make the change but Milan, who have risen all the way up to the giddy heights of 13th after their win over Genoa at Genoa this weekend and a slightly, I mean, it, it wasn't a resounding victory by any means, a, a last-minute save by Pepe Reina. contro Pepe Reina. Parte Schöne, tiro Reina! Milan now climbed to 13th, but doesn't matter. Uh, Paolo Maldini disappearing in the second half to go and get the ball rolling on the new man coming in. And, and genuinely, it does look like it's going to be Luciano Spalletti. Yeah, I think they were only prepared to make a change if they could get an upgrade um, to Gianpaolo. I don't think Pioli necessarily represents an upgrade. Does Spalletti work there, do you think? Yeah, I think Spalletti is someone who, if you give him an objective at the start of the season, and it's usually at the clubs that he's been at, get us into the Champions League, he always delivers. Now, you know, we have seen tensions with Spalletti over, over his last couple of jobs, which have kind of made his his stay there untenable, you know, be it with Totti at Roma and then be it with Icardi um, at Inter. So I'm really curious to see who he's going to pick a fight with. Uh, in this me in this Milan team, um, plenty of candidates. But at the moment, he's still under contract with with Inter because remember this time last year, Inter gave him a an extension, um, and it would cost them something like 15 million to get rid. And uh, I think 
Milan are going to have to reach some kind of agreement with Inter. Uh, I think Spalletti at this moment is um, saying, you know, I still want at least all of my money paid up until the end of this season from Inter. Um, so Even though he'd be working at Milan? Well, before he moved to Milan, he would like the bonushita, the golden handshake to from in to say, you know, thank you very much. You can yeah. move on your way now. Because ultimately, he could do what he did at Zenit, which is just sit around for two years on the money that, you know, they were were paying him uh, before they got rid. And he's shown he's he has done that in the past. So, you know, I, I imagine when, you, when you've got Conte as your manager and his staff and you're paying Conte 11 million a year and you've got a Spalletti as well on a big contract, then you'd, you'd do everything to try and move the other one on if you like um so it's curious i mean poor old Gianpaolo. Uh, at the after that Genoa game he's like i think i bought myself a little bit more time <laughs> you know after the win <laughs> and uh and ultimately yeah boban was not impressed they played well for 15 minutes at the start of second half but that was because he kind of corrected the mistakes he'd already made which is in the starting line he didn't start leao who's been by far the most exciting player and again you know was instrumental in in getting them uh, the points here. I didn't start Paquita, who again set up the equalising goal. So I think those things did for, for Milan, even though, as we mentioned, they got a win and they're, they're still only four points off the top four at the moment because with Napoli flailing around, Torino flailing around, you know, that Roma, for example, not getting the win at the weekend, although they felt the, the refereeing decisions went against them, it's still up for grabs it's just it's evident that Milan don't believe that Ciampaolo can turn this around All right. four points and eight teams between the Rossoneri and the, the Champions League places one of those teams in the way by the way is Fiorentina mm. who after their terrible start to the season under Vincenzo Montella well terrible six months <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> Uh, now we're on a really nice run of form and a victory of Udinese, risen all the way up to, to eighth and uh, things are looking good. Yeah, Ribéry was given player of the month and uh, it's really since um, Montello went to kind of a 3-5-2 with uh, strikerless formation with uh, Ribéry and Chiesa up front that things have really started to turn for them and it, it kind of puts in a, a different light that nil-nil that Juventus had in Florence uh, just at the, the beginning of September which looked like a really disappointing uh, result uh, for, for the Bianconeri but I think that was the beginning of something um, for Fiorentina um, and again I mean just to go back on Juventus quickly James I mean one of the things that you know is quite daunting about um, Sarri's team is that they have beaten Napoli. They've beaten Inter. Um, they were two 0 up in Madrid against Atletico, and yeah, you know, they got a result in Florence as well, which is now more difficult than it looked like, you know, for the last six months, definitely. So, mm. credit to Montella for turning that around. You see, if Milan give Gianpaolo six months, you know, and they don't win at San Siro, you know, for it's okay. you know, it's fine. You know, yeah. he'll turn it around eventually. Managers just need time. They need two or three windows. That's that's what we know. Thanks for that, Jim. <laughs> Up next, we're off to the Liga. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Real Madrid are coming again, Alvaro, crushing all resistance relentlessly back on top of the Liga and a big win over the previously high-flying Granada this weekend. Yeah, well, Granada is still fourth on the table and uh, they are doing an all-right job taking into consideration that they are just promoted. 
but uh, it was an easy game for Real Madrid because they they played really well and they scored really soon as well, which makes the things really easy. And uh, it was basically traffic in one direction all the way for Real Madrid, at least in the first half. Uh, Eden Hazard scored the second goal of Real Madrid uh, just before the halftime, which was good for him because he was his first ever goal in, in La Liga. Mm -hmm. Luka Modric scored the third after a beautiful shot. What a goal that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah really good goal. And uh, Luka Modric has had few niggling injuries this season. He seems to be... I don't know, 100% of back to his to his best, but he's definitely, definitely showing some good level. All together with uh, Fede Valverde, a player that uh, probably most of our listeners don't know about, but he is a, a guy from Uruguay that Real Madrid signed for the academy four or five years ago, and it took him some time to establish himself in the first team of Real Madrid. Well, he is going to be important for Zinedine Zidane, and I think that the biggest testament to this player is the fact that Real Madrid sent on loan Dani Ceballos and they sold uh, Marcos Llorente to Atlético de Madrid, and they kept Fede Valverde. So, Cidenencian thinks that this player is going to be important, and little by little, he's getting minutes at Real Madrid. He's a box-to-box -box midfielder, a player with plenty of character, and he did a really good game in general. And yeah, uh, the big problem for Real Madrid again this time was that despite they did uh, 45, 60 good minutes, then Granada managed to level the game. I mean, uh, Alfonso Ageola, the French goalkeeper, made a, a really bad mistake and the, he basically uh, managed uh, to give uh, Granada a penalty. And yeah, Granada had two goals. The score for a number of minutes was 3-2 for Real Madrid. But Real Madrid didn't ever suffer. I mean, Granada didn't make any clear chance. And at the end, uh, James Rodriguez scored the 4-2. James Rodriguez scoring, Gareth Bale assisting. Both players who were left out the uh, in the previous uh, midweek when Real Madrid had a real scare against Club Bruges. So yes. now that that whole the way that the Champions League has been going, despite this Liga dominance, <laughs> how is that playing out in Spain? Well, I think that there is uh, probably a consensus about uh, the little decline of Spanish football. I mean, from 2014 until 2017, 18, I would say, Spanish football dominated Champions League. There is obviously a bit of fear and a scare as well about the English dominance. What happened last year opened the eyes of uh, Spanish clubs to the point that they made a really good investment. I mean, Atletico de Madrid, Barcelona and Real Madrid, probably they spend a combined 700 million euros in signings, which tells you that they are fully aware of what's going on in England. But uh, what Real Madrid did against Bruce uh, last uh, Tuesday, I would say, it was really unexpected. They had a terrible first half. And even though they tried to attack and all that, uh, it's funny to see uh, how a team that uh, before had uh, five or six or seven players in their lineup nominated for the Ballon d'Or, mm. or at least in the shortlist of the Ballon d'Or, they can be so fragile now. And mm. uh, the likes of uh, Ramos and Varane, they don't look uh, as good as they were before. And the goalkeeper, also Thibaut Courtois, for any reason, he is not uh, making any miracle for Real Madrid. Because historically, Real Madrid has had goalkeepers who were lacking fundamentals. The likes of Iker Casillas, Keylor Navas, García Ramón, short goalkeepers who were capable of making miracles. Thibaut Courtois doesn't fit in that mould, mm. but he hasn't been able to produce astonishing saves yet. To the point that uh, in the game against um, Club Prus, uh, he had to leave the game after the halftime. Well, officially because he had a stomach problem that right. uh, kept him from not playing against uh, against Granada on Saturday, and officially, and I don't know if this is true or not, because he got an anxiety attack because he wasn't having a good game. 
Wow, interesting. Has there been any comeback on the manager because of his decision to kind of freeze, uh, particularly Gareth Bale, out of the out of the side in many key games? It's not a talking point anymore in in Spain. It was this summer, but uh, Gareth Bale is uh, having competitive games. Uh, uh-huh. He didn't play in Champions League the other day against Club Bruce. I remember, what I believe not, that not he even on the bench, him and James Rodriguez. Yeah, but this time, I mean, he's rotating the squad. I think that right. I said last week that Zinedine uh, knows that the formula to success at Real Madrid is a heavy rotation. He did it in the 2016-17 season and he managed to win La Liga title, which is not something that we should be taking as granted for Real Madrid because they have won only two titles in the last decade, two La Liga titles. And rotating, he managed to win the Champions League and La Liga. And I think that this is going to be part of his rulebook from now on. He's, fo- right. he's going to follow that. Okay, well, worrying uh, suggestions there about Thibaut Courtois. Barcelona, meanwhile had Messi back and after his decisive role in their comeback midweek against Inter in the Champions League, uh, he scored his first goal of the season in a 4-0 thumping of Sevilla. Yes, but at the same time there are many nuances to all this. Barcelona has an aggregate of 6-1 against Inter and Sevilla, mm-hmm. but I tell you what, I mean that scoreline doesn't reflect what was seen on the pitch on Sunday Sevilla should have scored three or four goals in the first half against Barcelona. But they simply can't score because they are missing Ben Yedder, the Monaco player. De Jong, the Dutch striker, is supposed to do that job, but he had three clear chances in the first half. Within 25 minutes, he was totally unable even to shoot on target, I believe. And then in the second half, he managed to hit the post, but it was already too late anyway, because Barcelona uh, had one of these lapses of uh, creativity and uh, they saw what a force power they can be and in 10 minutes in the first half they managed to wrap up the game completely after Sevilla had three clear chances that De Jong missed Suarez uh, then Arturo Vidal and then Dembélé within 8 minutes they scored a 3-0 and the game was over after that in the second half it was good to see that uh, Lionel Messi is back in the scoreline he scored he didn't score a goal since Copa America it was a beautiful free kick and yeah Barcelona seemed to be at the minute, getting back to their level, mm-hmm. but there are still some levels or steps away from their possible best. And in fact, Ernesto Valverde admitted that in the press conference. And uh, the biggest problem at Barcelona now is that the defense and the attack, they are totally disjointed. They are very separate. And Barcelona positional game normally relies on the whole team being together in 40, 50 yards. And if you see Pique and if you see Messi, I mean, there is such a, a distance between them to the point that Barcelona centre-backs are getting plenty of red cards or yellow cards because normally they've got plenty of one-on-one situations to solve. Right. Yesterday, Dembele, uh, for complaining to the referee, he said that he was very bad, very bad in his face. And then uh, Araujo, one of the central defenders, were sent off. Barcelona ended the game with nine players, which mm. tells you that also there is a little bit of impatience in the players, probably to show or to prove that they are as good as they were. Uh, you, you were talking about Victor Valdez the other week and yeah. the fact that he's now part of the Barcelona youth coaching setup. But I'm afraid there's been some bad news there. Is that right, Alvaro? Bad news, yeah. He's been sacked, James. He's been sacked. Uh, he was always a guy with a lot of personality. I remember that uh, when Luis Van Gaal gave him the chance to be the Barcelona goalkeeper, I'm talking about 17, 18 years ago, he didn't like it when Van Gaal sent him to the, to the second team after a couple of games, and he, he went on a strike. And that was Victor Valdez when he was 20 years old. Well, this time... Uh, he got plenty of discrepancies with uh, the Barcelona directing board and by extension with Patrick Kluivert, uh, which is Barcelona's kind of a sporting director, a guy who keeps the relationship with some other clubs. Well, Victor Valdez 
apparently he's not respecting some of Barcelona rules, which one of them is the academy has to play with the 4-3-3 formation. Victor Valdés was using a 4-4-2. Then this summer he refused to bring his team to the third place game in a summer tournament. So basically his team didn't play because Victor Valdés wanted to prevent his players from injuries. He didn't attend the methodology meeting at Barcelona a couple of weeks ago. And uh, basically, he's been like a... The methodology meeting. Yeah, Barcelona has, a, I think, that a monthly or maybe fortnightly methodology meeting mm -hmm. in which they talk about uh, what Barcelona methodology should be because they want to have a template from the young ranks uh, to, the, to the first team and follow the same training, uh, the same drills and all that. And Victor Valdez didn't attend. So there were a couple, few things that were piling up in there. Victor Valdez never se seemed to be like a, some sort of a a solo guy in Barcelona instead of a, you know, keeping the holistic environment in there. And, uh, and yeah, he was sacked last Friday. He had apparently a really heavy argument with Patrick Colivert, and that was uh, what took the biscuit. Wow. Okay, well, Barcelona move into second place and Atletico Madrid making up the top three. They were held to a third goalless draw in four matches, this time by Valladolid. Uh, interesting quotes from Saul afterwards. Yeah, I will read what he said literally after the game because I think that he can summarize very well what Atletico's mm, stage is at the moment. He said, we have a negative feeling. We haven't started the first half the way we should. It's always the same. And then in the second half, we have to make a bigger effort to win games. We must acknowledge we should go for the game from the first minute. In our mind, we want to, but we can't execute what we want. We must address that error because it has happened in various games. It's not intensity, was it's stopping us from winning. Our positioning was not good. We were too separated to win the second ball. Mm. Well, for a player to say that in a Simeone regime, that is quite of a novelty. I don't think that there will be repercussions for Saul, mm -hmm. but I've never heard a player just uh, kind of contesting the manager's approach to the game ever before. And particularly, as you say, with Diego Simeone. <laughs> Well, having rounded up all of that, next up we're going to be heading off very shortly to Copenhagen to hear about the big derby there this weekend. Before that, though, here's producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jim. By Lee Price from Paddy Powers on the line. Time to talk European odds. Lee, the Bundesliga looks like the most exciting league in Europe at the moment, so give us a tip for the title that isn't Bayern or Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, it can only be described as absolute chaos right now in Germany, although I'm sure they've got a much better word for it. I suppose I should probably start with the current leaders Gladbach while they're still there, who are 50-1 to 1 to win the league. Wolfsburg are a point behind them and unbeaten in second place, yet are 150-1, to 1, while the in-the-no pick has always been Leipzig this season. They're a far shorter 17-2 to, to win the title. That still puts them behind Dortmund in the betting, though. BVB are 15-2 to, to win the league. But the headline news here, surprise, surprise, is that Bayern are odds-on to be champions again, 2-9. to nine. All right, over to Italy. Fans of Galazzo won't enjoy seeing Sampdoria bottom of Serie A right now, so what are the odds on them actually being relegated? Well, I'm wondering whether our traders might be fans of Galazzo because Sampdoria aren't in our bottom three, i.e. the three shortest-priced teams in the relegation market. Instead, you've got Lecce who odds on at 4-6, to six, Spau also odds on at 5-6, to six, then it's Verona at 6-4, to four, then Brescia at 9-5, to five, and then Samp at 21-10. to 10. And finally, over to Spain. Messi is off the mark for the campaign. How many will Barca's skipper score this season? Well, I have to say, Lionel Messi has been odds-on to finish as top scorer this season in Spain, 
since the start of summer. Despite his injuries, despite the slow start to the season, that hasn't altered. In fact, it's just got more likely. He is the favourite to win the Golden Boot in Spain this season. You won't be surprised there. If you are looking for a surprise, maybe Loren Moron or Gerard Moreno could maintain their scoring streaks. Looking at around 33-1, to 1, either of those wins the Golden Boot. Or how about Karim Benzema? He's second favourite in our odds. 3-1 to one to be top scorer in Spain this season. He's made a good start. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, this weekend saw Bromby against FC Copenhagen. A 3-1 victory for the home side in a particularly keenly felt local rivalry. Let's hear more from Niels Harald of Eurosport. Uh, Niels, thanks for joining us. It looked like a terrific atmosphere there at, at, at the game. It was a ter- terrific atmosphere. It's a game that's always being uh, looked forward to in, in Denmark as a special one. And uh, this time it, it was really good. It was uh, an intense game. Four goals, um, four yellows, yellow cards within the first half hour and a, and a red card, which also was... Uh, was quite something. So it, it was a special game and, it, and it, it changed things a little bit in Copenhagen because FC Copenhagen won four times last year, last season, and this time uh, Brøndby won 3-1. to one. So that was uh, that was huge for Brøndby, huge victory. All right, Brøndby, the club which gave the world uh, Peter Schmeichel, the Laudrups. Uh, also, it's where Temu Pukki was uh, polishing up his scoring boots. Uh, the, the, the goals were pretty fine by from, uh, from them this time. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was really good goals and uh, Camille uh, Vilcek, uh, who has been in a sort of a scoring drought, was really good. He scored two goals yesterday, and it was like a, it was a good game for Brøndby because they had a difficult patch in the Superliga, uh, but also FC Copenhagen is going going through a rough time. You know, only two victories in the last nine games, so it was like it was before the game was expected to be difficult for FC Copenhagen, especially since they were playing Thursday night in Europa League also. Tell me, uh, Nils, why was uh, Fernando Torres there at the game? <laughs> well, he's a good friend of the of the Brøndby owner. Um, I believe that was why he was sitting next to him anyway. So um, yesterday we actually had two uh, participants in the World Cup final from 2010 watching a Danish Superliga game in Espia, where I was. Uh, we had Raffel van der Vaart who was playing lower league football now in Denmark. He was watching that game and Fernando Torres was in Brøndby. So that was that was something special. And perhaps the biggest name in world football was actually on the pitch, Nicholas Bentner, who sparked, uh, whose arrival at Copenhagen has sparked Bentner mania. Uh, so much attention that they actually had to have his first training session behind closed doors. Is that right? Yeah, there was a there was a game against Brøndby. The the second teams were playing each other. You know, the the B teams were playing each other, and they had to sort of shut it down. And the, the, yes, there's been a bit of a bentnomania. But um, was it behind closed doors because there would have been too much demand from fans? Yeah, I believe that they were worried that pictures might slip out if he wasn't really up to ah, okay. to standards. So maybe that was why they were closing the doors. I believe so. All right, he still hasn't scored or assisted, right, in the league. That's right. The jury is out on him. You know, he's he's been working hard to get the match fitness again after a long, long break from uh, playing football on the pitch. So, yeah, that was his first game uh, starting for FC Copenhagen. And he's not really there yet. And nobody knows whether he'll he'll come there again. But uh, a lot of people are hoping to see him in, in good shape. Niels, 
you mentioned Raphael van der Vaart is playing lower league football in Denmark. The love of, yeah, the love of football. Uh, how did this come about? Uh, well, well, he ended his career in Denmark playing and, uh, in the Superliga and uh, he went away. Uh, you know, there was a break and suddenly he appeared in the fourth, fourth uh, it's called Serie 4, which is like, uh, I believe it's a real lower league football. And that's where he is playing for fun now. So he's playing uh, in the weekends, playing for that uh, local team in Esbjerg. You know, there's a, there's a few players. Uh, Stylian Petrov used to do that. Uh, Pascal Chimbonda, Ludovic Juli in France. There's a few. All in Denmark. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, you know, not we... all in Denmark, but all in lower leagues, whatever countries. But, you know, say. some still do like 7th, 8th, ninth division just what for the fun of it. They love of football as well. They yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a happy country. Yeah. Nils, <laughs> don't ask me why, but I watched Malmö against Copenhagen in the Europa League on Thursday night. And it's, it's a bit of a derby as well, right? There's only like 40 kilometers. I know it's, it's two different countries and, and across the sea. We had, the uh, we had Michael Cox on uh, Totally Football okay. Show on Monday yes. talking about this and, and where it all goes back to. Was it the Kings League when there was some really unfortunate policing uh, that, that uh, really enraged the, the Malmo fans? Is that right, Niels? Yeah, absolutely. In 2005, they had, they had a Royal League game. Uh, which was uh, it was it was really nasty scenes on the spectators, uh, you know, w w within the audience, and it was still a theme before this game. The Malmö fans are expecting, uh, anticipating an apology from FC Copenhagen about this, and it's been a bit of a, a theme. But but the game itself was great, and it was um, really great atmosphere, and uh, as you said, a, a, a sort of a derby game also between Sweden and Denmark, always special when we face the Swedes. So my question was, which one is the biggest game? Is there, is there really like a debate or, or Bromby Copenhagen is far bigger still than Malmö against Copenhagen? Yeah, Bromby FC Copenhagen is much bigger. In, in Denmark, it is obviously the biggest game of them all. And uh, and even though Malmö FC Copenhagen is a big game, it's 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 below this one, yeah. Okay. There's one last thing. Uh, Copenhagen still up near the top of the table in, in, in second place, but them getting defeated in the derby quite heavily by Bromby, is that something that all the rest of Danish football celebrates? I mean, are Copenhagen seen as... Uh, are they one of those teams that everybody else regards as just everything that's wrong about modern football? Uh, you're nailing it. It, it 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 it's a bit like everybody expects FC Copenhagen to win this uh, league every season, you know. And then when something else happens, that is celebrated by all the other clubs and by the fans of the other clubs. So the theme is, uh, it, you know, if you're not supporting FC Copenhagen, it was a good day yesterday for Danish football because it, obviously it opens the top of the league and it it shows they're human, you know. And why and why does everybody dislike FC Copenhagen so much? I don't know. Um, it's, the Bondby fans obviously dislike them a lot, but you know it's a very rich club, and they they empty the league of the good players. You know, when when a good player surfaces in another club, he, he will be bought by FC Copenhagen in, within short time. So that's that's the main theme about that. It was a good afternoon for Danish football also because you know we don't we're not used to this. I mean, we have many games with like three thousand, five five thousand, eight thousand spectators, but this was really good. There was really cooking. Yeah. How, how many people were at the game then? 21,000, right, which is good in, very good in Denmark. Victor Fischer, yes. who was supposed to be one of the prodigy back at Ajax and then Middlesbrough legend, plays for <laughs> Copenhagen as well. I should it's say not, that. It's not doing much better than Betner. Copenhagen have a very good scouting system as well. It's not just, you know, sort of hoovering up best Danish talent. You think of just like the goalkeepers alone that they've, they've bought and sold on over the years. Who? Your favourite, Robin Olsen. Okay. They actually made money on him, which, nice you know, is a, that is a trick. Uh -huh. um, Who else? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, Favro, who's gone to Lazio? Very nice. Some, yes, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd love more 
uh, Copenhagen scouting chat, but I think we're at the end of today's show. Mm. Uh, Totally Football Show returns on Thursday uh, with an eclectic editorial medley of themes. I suspect they'll be a bit of looking forward to the European qualifiers, but also some other excitements as well. Anyway, do give that a listen because it's bound to be entertaining. Meantime, many, many thanks to Alvaro Romeo, James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, and yes, Julian Laurent for uh, making today's show so much fun. Listener, thank you for being with us. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.